0: Ladies, step up. When you have more money in your hands, real wealth, we have the ability to really change the world. Because here's what I understand. Smart women, when we make money, we actually reinvest in our communities, in our business, in our families. So it is your duty to go out there and not just serve with service serve and sell, make the money too. You will do the good things in the world that need to be done with the money and the power that comes with it.
1: Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. If you are a service-based entrepreneur and want to learn the importance of sales and how to sell, then you're going to love today's conversation. Joining us is Laura Wright, who's the founder of Epic at Sales. Now, Laura has closed over $43 million over the past 20 years, and she was also once $500,000 in debt when her real estate company crashed in the 2008 recession. Yet a few years later, Laura made a name for herself in the coaching industry as the go-to sales ninja for service-based women in business, helping her clients scale to six and seven figures. She's the author of No Woman Down, 51 Lessons to Create Your Epic Income Rise. Welcome to the show, Laura. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you. I'm so
0: happy to be here.
1: Well, before the mics went on, we were talking about how important sales Are for women, and you said something very wise. Can you repeat what you said to me?
0: Yeah, I I always have this moment like, what did I say? What did I say? No, but this one's an easy one to remember. Um, I think sales is the most critical thing in your business because without the sale, you actually don't have
1: this, <laughs> And I don't mean to laugh because it's actually not funny. I think there's a lot of women who are very heart-centered. They have such a passion for, for wanting to serve. But when it comes for into transactional things, to ask for money in return for service, it's stressful and hard and brings up a lot of stuff for them. So this is going to be a great conversation. And I look forward to learning what you have to share. Um, but let's start with your story. Cause I think it's always fun. I just mentioned in the intro that you were once $500,000 in debt, which just, that's incredibly stressful. Obviously 2008 was a big recession, but, um, that's a lot of money to be in debt and then to come back from that and to be thriving. So can you tell us how did you end up in that debt and how did you turn things around?
0: Yeah, I want to be like, oh, I just snapped my fingers and everything was magically better. But um, <laughs> I'll tell you the real story <laughs> it's much better. So um, you know what's funny? It actually goes back a little bit further than 2008. I was working corporate and I was selling high ticket events. I had uh, corporations like ExxonMobil and Staples and NPR as my clients. And I did all these trade shows. And September 11th happened. And like a lot of industries at that time, our industry was basically wiped out. And I had a moment where I was really, really miserable in my life. And this actually came as a blessing and a gift for me to be able to leave being in corporate. And so I kind of suddenly found myself a little bit unemployed and I was trying to figure out what did I want to do. And so I decided I got a little bit tired of hearing my mom talk about wanting to buy real estate investment property I had at 19, a few years before, bought my own um, house and I decided to sell my house and build a real estate investment company. So over the next few years, we created a multi seven figure business. We had two construction crews. It was a team of 10. We did over a hundred properties in like five years. We did a lot. And then when September um, of 2008 happened, and I think you guys might remember watching Lehman Brothers disappear mm-hmm. on TV, mm-hmm. um, I found myself holding the bag. Um, we had made some unwise decisions in our business, which I'm now insanely grateful for. Um, and I not only lost the business, our partnerships broke apart. I found myself, when I say like over 500000 73000 of that was personal debt. And actually, my then boyfriend husband now didn't know how bad it was. And mm-hmm. so I had that classic dark night of the soul, you know, knock your knees down to the ground kind of moment. And um, I realized that I was once again, unemployable, because you can't be a CEO running a big company and then be like, hey, I want a job. <laughs> and I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. <laughs> So, um, I pulled myself back up and I want to say I did it really fast. I actually ignored and pretended like nothing was going wrong for quite a few months. Uh, but the very first thing that I did is I went and actually hired a coach, which mm. sounds a little counterintuitive, but I knew I couldn't find my way out of this on my own. And then over the next six years, I proceeded to pay off all of my debt. Um, and I will tell this story because, I was fortunate a while back to be in a room, actually in an elevator full of multi seven figure badass women. And they all mm. were having the conversation of how every single one of them had a failed business mm. and the bankruptcy under mm. their belt. And I was like, Oh good. I'm in, the, I'm in good company, mm-hmm. but I will tell you the only reason I didn't file bankruptcy is because I couldn't scrape together the $2,300 I needed to pay <sighs> oh my goodness. the attorney. Like that's, that's where we were. So it took some time, but I negotiated some of my debt down, I set up a repayment plan, but I started investing in myself again as soon as was possible. I started saying yes to opportunities. Um, my then boyfriend became my now husband mm-hmm. during that time. We moved into our dream home. We had a child now, um, however many years ago that was, it's now 12 years ago, which we always find remarkable. Uh, we are in like the third house that we've bought together. We take vacations. I have a seven figure business, like all the rosy goodness came along. But I tell this story because it wasn't easy and it wasn't fast but i kept myself moving forward
1: okay well let's break this down then so what made you hire the coach it's interesting because i actually do interview a lot of seven figure entrepreneurs on the show and they all have a coach and i think yep. that having the right coach is critical so tell tell us two things one is why did you know it was important to find that coach and how did you figure out it was the right one for you, because that can be an investment. I mean, you see people and I, I somebody just two different people that I follow, major influencers on Instagram, were talking about how they spent tens of thousands of dollars for these very well known people who are basically showing them a roadmap of how to become them, which is why it was wasted money did not work. So there's a recipe here, really getting tuned into what you need. So can you talk about that?
0: Absolutely. Okay, so I remember when I was young, I just had a lot of spunk to me. And I always kind of hung out with people who are a little bit older to me, which I now understand was I was gathering mentors around me. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I started my real estate business, one thing I understood was how little I understood about real estate. And so the very first thing I did when I started that business was I found the smartest person in the room who knew what they were doing. And I went over to them and said, I want to pay you to be my mentor. And luckily mm-hmm. they said yes. And they became my coach and, and eventually became my business partner. So when I found myself floundering again, I realized I was like, wait a minute, what did I do the first time to create mm-hmm. success? And what I realized was I needed somebody who, and I love how you said it, not had what I wanted and could show me how to get it, but could how could help me understand what I wanted and mm-hmm. actually go get it. So yeah. The woman that I actually hired, it was so funny. Um, I came to her and I still remember the, the first conversation. I owe her just a debt of gratitude. Of I remember crying on the phone because her program was $1,800. No, I think it was like $1,600 for her 12-week uh, program. And the whole point of our program was to help you identify what you were going to create as your coaching business. Hmm. Uh, because I had actually started coaching and training other women on how to invest in real estate. So I knew there was there was something there for me and, um, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I remember crying cause I couldn't figure out how to come up with a hundred dollar deposit to be able to pay her. And wow. I remember on, a, I was interviewed on a podcast and someone's like, well, how did you do it? And I, I literally can't remember, but I know I paid her because we got started. I am certain I shorted like our grocery bill or something that month. Um, <laughs> I know that I did that. And that's what I think a lot of risk takers do is we take the risk. But when I came into her world, what she helped me understand was who I was, who I served, how I did it and what I wanted. And what's really fun about the story is I was in her program for about two or three weeks and I made a comment about something about her sales process. And she had her team reach out to me and they invited me actually to become a scheduler for her, for her sales calls. Mm. And from that, within two years, I became an integral part of her business. I led her entire sales team we hosted three live events, brought her business from 250 a year to $1.2 million annually. Um, and I led one of her entire coaching programs. So there was a lot of growth that was there to be had. But what I did was I followed the breadcrumbs. I continued like seeing who was doing what I wanted, but how did I want to do it? And what I do today looks very different from what she does.
1: Mm, Okay. This is so good. So then now I'm curious because I have a belief system that there are people who are naturally good at sales. Not that you can't learn it, but I think there's people who innately just kind of get it. Um, Sarah Blakely comes to mind. So she's sold fax machines, right? And then we know where that turned into with Spanx and her (laughs) billion dollar company. But I think that uh, my sense is, if I had to guess, is that you are probably one of those people who are good at innovating and can sell. Um, did that start, would, A, would you agree with me? And B, did that start very young? Yes. And yes. And yeah. it's funny
0: because I, I am one of those, I can sell ice to Eskimos and I actually believe, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> I believe that sales is a learned skill. Mm-hmm. What you know as an innate talent is something that is somehow nurtured. And I always love to tell the story of, Yes, this started very young. I was always negotiating, you know, throughout all of my, you know, like being a kid, I was always doing something, but I still remember my biggest negotiation slash sale was, uh, when I was 19, I wanted to buy a house. And, um, so I negotiated with my father that, um, I basically laid it out to him like this. He would, I was in college at the time. And I said, look, if you pay for my student housing over the next four years of me being in school, it's going to be $24,000 if I find a house to buy, would you give me $8,000 for a down payment and I'll pay all of my living expenses? And he of course said yes, because he didn't know me very well to know that here's what had already happened. I had already found the house Ah. Um, writing a contract and it was an $80,000 home and I needed $8,000 for the down payment. So um, yes, I am naturally skilled and gifted at this. Yes. It started at an early age and yes, What I do is completely teachable because here's the thing, the way that I innately know how to sell is my way. Everyone who is listening to this podcast, you are actually already a master at sales and you don't even know it.
1: Okay. So speak more on that. How is that?
0: Yeah. So um, did you get out of bed today? Yes. (laughs) You did. You sold yourself on getting out of bed. If you have downloaded this podcast and you are listening to it, you sold yourself on giving up time for something else to put this first. If you have a child and you have ever gotten them to eat a vegetable or something they didn't want to eat, congratulations, you are a master at sales and negotiation. Mm -hmm. We just discount services because we put them into certain boxes where you think it's only a sale if you have a money transaction with it.
1: Hmm. Okay. So here's what comes to mind. So when you say service-based entrepreneurs, you don't work with people who sell products, your program. Uh, I do.
0: Occasionally I will take on private clients who sell products, but I love service-based because there's so much more freedom. Yeah, Uh, There's so much more flexibility. But when I do work with my product gals, it's usually ways to package up and add mentorship inside of their products, which is fun too.
1: Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that. But I think with service-based entrepreneurs in particular, two things can happen. One is that a lot of times they're doing what so naturally comes to them and connected to that is feeling badly for charging what they actually love doing too. So it comes easily and they love it, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it's easy and you don't value it, which is ironic because the thing that you love to do that is the easiest for you could be, and usually is the most difficult and dreaded thing for someone else. So Mm -hmm. that should be your highest value, not the stuff that you get frustrated with and don't wanna do.
1: Okay, so how does a woman reframe that for herself? How does she own her power and her worth enough to charge?
0: Mm, I freaking love this question. Okay, so I have an exercise that I do with all of my clients where I have them sit down and write out an evidence list. And here's what goes into the evidence list. It is every single thing you've ever done to be where you are today. And I don't mean just like, um, you know, educational accolades, like what you graduated with or anything like that, but anything you've ever done to get where you are today. I also ask them to go and look at every single nice and wonderful and great thing that somebody has said about them. And we gather all these things up. And what that does is it starts to stack the universal deck in your favor to start to see your value. And I want you to understand, um, I had a lovely client I did a call with today. And she came to me and she's like, I'm totally cool with charging this one price, like a really great price point for this one thing, because I give a lot of value. But I don't know if there's any value in the ongoing support. I was like, right, wait, whoa, 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 pause here. <laughs> They're accessing your how many years worth of stuff that you have done in order to be able to like quickly get them to the solve. I really want the ladies who are listening and gentlemen too, if you happen to be, to understand your value is it's about selling your brain power. I have a client who she's one of my highest paying p- private clients. We sometimes box her for like two or three minutes every week. She's very happy with the quickness because what she's paying for is my ability to hone in, bring to bear my 20 some odd years worth of experience and tell her one or two little tweaks that will go make her more money and help more people.
1: Yeah, it's interesting though. So I just, uh, an interview that's coming out today on the show. So we're recording, what is today's day? July 22nd. Um mm-hmm talked about it. And this is an incredibly influential, iconic woman who is 58 years old and admitted that she works so hard because she's constantly feeling like she has to prove herself. She is not alone. I think that so many, and I was so touched by her ability to just be so transparent because you see the the persona, you see what the person's accomplished and you think, wow, that's incredible. And yet there's still this self-doubt at 58. at 48 and at 38 and at 28 and at 18 and at eight, you know, especially for women, the show is for women. And so I think that, I don't know if it's like an ancestral thing, I don't know what, or cultural thing, but women are so deeply hard on themselves. And, you know, again, what, what is that shift that they can make? How can they start really owning it? Because it could be decades of programming, you know, life experiences, different things that have contributed to this feeling of wanting to give. And part of it, I think, is people pleasing. And I I can be guilty of this. I really love. And with me, too, it's I love being in service. I just love it. So if I can help, I want to help. I don't think about what I I can get in return for that.
0: Yeah, there's two things that are really important about this. So number one, I want you to understand that proving energy is actually client repulsive.
1: Wait, say that again. Say that again. Proving energy.
0: Proving energy when yep. you get on a sales calls and you are trying to prove your value, it is client repulsive, mm. not client attractive. Think about it for a second like I always sometimes people liken uh, sales to dating, and I think it 's really a good analogy, but that that person who's like hanging around you and hanging on and like constantly wants to be there, but you 're like, oh, stay away it doesn 't feel good. But when somebody is kind of a little bit more aloof or a little bit more like that guy over in the corner or that gal in the corner, who is that person? That's who you gravitate towards. So what I want for you to understand is, ladies, it's time to set this down. Proving energy does not serve anyone. Mm. That thing that you want to be of great service, another thing I really want to share is this. You're actually not serving someone when you do extra work undercharging, Mm over-delivering. They're not going to feel, perceive, or actually even receive the additional value you only drain yourself. Really want everyone to catch that. They do not receive what you are attempting to give to them. Mm-hmm.
1: That the is other huge. Is that, Thank you. Wait, let's take a moment. Yes. Huge, huge, huge what you just said. Huge. Yeah. That's so important. That is so true. Because we've been on the receiving end of that. And I know I've been on when when I started consulting in my early 30s. So guilty of that. So guilty. And, and it,
0: it's that funny thing where like you think you're doing the good thing, but honestly, you know, I've only, I like to say I've only ever had like one client that I've recommended reducing their rates, but it's not even about that. It's about the undercharging over delivering only harms you mm-hmm. does not give extra value. Mm-hmm. Love that. The the other side of proving is, and I want to show everyone a way cause it's so freaking simple to not have to be improving energy because we Get onto sales calls, and especially as consultants or coaches, we want we hear someone's problem, and we immediately want to give them a solve. And what I like to say is this. It's actually to the detriment of the person if you give them that solve for two reasons. One, no matter how amazing you are, and you are amazing, and please hear me when I say this. I, even this goes for me. If I give someone advice or a solve on a simple one hour call where I don't know all the details about their business, I could potentially be giving them the wrong solve. Mm. The other side of it is it's kind of like giving someone junk food. And here's what I mean. And ladies, please hear me. You are not giving out junk. I do not say that. But it's like when you eat a snack that's junk food where you feel full for a minute, but it doesn't last. Mm. That's what happens when you just put a quick solve onto someone's problem because you're not, you're putting a bandaid on, you're not actually giving them the solve. The other thing is this sales is service and service must have money commitment attached to it for the person to receive it. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had like a great girlfriend or a business colleague ask you a question and you were like, Oh, well, I know what to do. Go do this. Always. And then you watch <laughs> as she floats off into the ether and doesn't take the advice you said, right. Or mm-hmm. she's, shows up in a couple more months and was like, I don't know, it's not working. What do I do? Well, here's what's happening. She wasn't committed to doing what you said because she didn't have commitment inside of that relationship. And what is commitment? Money is the energy of commitment. Mm. I always like to give a little example. So like, let's say you wanted to go to some like event and you'd paid $27 And it's yucky outside. It's like raining. It's a little yucky. You don't feel so great. My bet is you are going to be on the couch, feet up, watching a show, glass of wine or tub of ice cream in hand. You're not going. Mm -hmm. If you had paid maybe $2,700, maybe you'd be a little more inclined to go to that evening. Maybe you might have like hired a car or something. If you had paid $27,000 to go to that event that evening, I promise. You were probably on a plane to the place. You had woken up that morning in the hotel. You had hair, makeup done, and you were going to make it no matter what the weather was. Mm-hmm. So why don't to start thinking about money being a way to activate commitment?
1: I love it. And I actually really appreciated the analogy you made to dating with sales, sort of being more aloof. I think that's that's something that we can remember. So when you're in conversation, if you find yourself being overly trying to prove or too accessible, just rein it in. (laughs) And then as money as the transactional piece, knowing that your worth is tied to how much you're charging or the, is it the perception of your worth or how would you, how would you frame that?
0: Yeah, I love what you just said. I actually think there is no possible way to charge your worth. So I actually don't char- don't tie what you charge to your worth. Mm-hmm. I charge it to the value of what you're delivering. Yeah. Now I want you to think about because that's different. Because we are priceless. There is no way to put a, a price tag to a human, mm-hmm. especially our lovely ladies who are listening to this call. But what I really want for you to think about is how does it match the value of what you're delivering? So when I'm creating packages for my clients and what I want for them to to get the most out of my programs, I sell high ticket on purpose so that people show up all the way and they do what we talk about. I also set price points that match the value of the 20 some odd years of experience that I've done. But more importantly, because it's not tied to my value, it's tied to the value exchange that they're going to receive and what they're going to be able to create with my guidance and my coaching. It usually is tied a bit to the value of their ideal clients Uh, to the amount of revenue they wanna create. And don't worry if you don't help people make money. It's not about that. It's about a value exchange versus your worth.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad. I love that value exchange. That's perfect. And of course, we are priceless. I completely (laughs) agree with that. And we are not charging for our worth. I think that's important. That's a very important distinction. Um, Oftentimes, when it comes to sales, you hear people say, well, you need to identify the pain points. But if you have a mailing list or you're on social, it's often hard to um, have people actually take the time to respond. They may want to, but I would say the percentage of people that do is usually pretty small. So how do you really identify pain points? Because really what we are doing when we are selling services is we're solving problems.
0: Yeah, I love this question. And here's my, the thing of why I love sales calls more than anything inside of a business is because it gives you all of the copy and the verbiage that you need to explain someone's pain and to get them to their vision. Because that's actually the arc of the sale where you walk them through their pain, get them to their vision. I I also like to say struggle instead of pain. It feels much better to me Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't like when people are in pain, but I do like when they're clear on their struggles. Um, and I like when they're clear on their vision because then my work with them is the bridge to get them from their struggle to their vision. Mm-hmm. So why I love sales calls is because you can legit hear what people say. So I'm gonna give you an example. Um I used to do this thing on sales calls where people are like, Are you reading my mind? Um and what it was is I would get on these calls with amazing, amazing women and I'm like, What's going on for you? Let me guess. You're having lots and lots of great conversations, but it's not turning into clients. And they're like, you're right. How do you know that? Well, how I knew it was I spoke to, I don't know, 30 or 40 people over a short amount of time. And they all kept saying these words, I'm having great conversations, but it's not working. I'm not getting clients Mm -hmm. because what they wanted is they wanted to feel good. They wanted to have the great conversation. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to close and have a client, but they weren't doing that part. So what I learned was how to hear the words that my ideal prospects were saying, so that when I send an email, if I use the words that someone might be using on a sales conversation with me, they're more likely to respond. So what I do is I'm a huge fan of outreach. It's um, a lot of companies call it business development. Uh, the horrible telemarketing world has claimed it as cold calling, which I don't agree with and don't Mm -hmm. do. I'm Mm -hmm. looking for, I'm looking for my ideal client who is hanging around me, who wants some love and support, but maybe doesn't respond. And I want to give you all like a little way to how to find these people. So what I do is my team pays attention to who is clicking on all my stuff, but doesn't respond who is watching all my videos or opening all my emails or signing up for anything I ever do, but they don't click to get on a call with me. And do you know what I do?
1: You send them them a targeted email. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't even target email. I'll like private message them because here's what I know. Um, I am a recovering uh, don't ask for help addict. Um, I still remember like (laughs) my husband and I've been together for like 20 some odd years and it took me into like year 10 or 12 to be able to ask for help carrying the groceries in. And I'm sure this is an example most women can understand. We do that thing where we try to carry all the groceries all in one uh, load into the house. (laughs) So we don't want to ask for help. Well, here's the reality. Most people don't want to be seen struggling. They don't want to be seen and perceived as somebody who needs help which also then leads to them not asking for help. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you the women that I know who make the most amount of money and have the strongest businesses are the first to ask for help. For me, it's one of the very first things I do. I think if something's going on, who do I need to ask to get some support here? So what I know by knowing the understanding, the psychology of how people buy and function is I am the lighthouse. I reach out to you. You don't have to ask me for help. I'm watching for you. I'm seeing you across the street struggling with all your groceries. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to tell me that you are. I'm going to walk across the street, AKA send you an email and I'm going to ask if I can help carry your groceries inside.
1: Yeah. And by targeted, I meant you've been watching to see who those people are. So then you know who needs the help and can reach out. Right. Yeah. No, that's well, that
0: good. And like, yeah. I, I, I know my ideal client, like I know, like I know, like I know her. I always tell a story about how I was doing a live event and we brought some gals up on stage to do a success panel. And I started laughing as they all walked out wearing the same pants and nobody had coordinated it. <laughs> they were all wearing like the um, various different brands, but the leather down the front black pants. And I just, it cracked me up because I'm so identified and know who my ideal client is. They actually sometimes even dress and look
1: alike. The avatar is very defined. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely.
1: All right. So you get them on the call and then how long are you spending with them?
0: Great question. So what I like to say is this, again, why people hate sales is because everyone tells you what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And what I want to tell you is the answer is different for everyone. So I have some clients who do 15 minute screening calls. In fact, one of my amazing clients, she does something where when you get on the call with her, she's like, So why are we talking? Are you ready to go? And she literally starts the call like that. And people buy, pay in full $30,000 programs for her. That's her style. Mm -hmm. I have another client who has a multi-step. So two calls, usually sometimes three, one hour long each call. And she does deep dive, connecting, guided visualization, helping people understand their struggles and their vision and giving invitations For me, what I've learned- Wait, can I
1: stop you there? She's doing those for free? Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, why? She's not giving out any coaching or consulting. She's guiding someone through their sales process because she only takes um, 88 people a year on to work with her through her team. And her team is usually the one that's doing the calls. So that's another aside. And she wants somebody who is willing to do the deep work. So what we learned was- Her sales process needed to reflect what people were needing to do inside of her program to get results. Okay. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, for me, what I've learned is I book a 15-minute sales call. However, my calendar is blocked out for a full hour. And what I can do with that is I know, I usually know when, before someone's applied, they even talk with me. I know if they're my ideal client. I know if they're going to even buy Within the first few minutes, I am certain whether they are a yes or a no. And in a 15-minute conversation, I can bless them and release them if they're not a fit. Uh, A lot of my clients are making their payments by like moment Mm 24-ish. But I have that whole hour because I can't tell you how many times that different people buy in different ways. That's another really important thing to understand is not just we sell in different ways, we buy in different ways. And some people need more time to connect with you. I'll give you an example. If you have this person who's been following you for like their sales cycle, let's say it's maybe eight or nine months, they've been following you, they've been watching you, they've been consuming all of your content, they've heard all your programs, they are ready to go to get on a call, they might just need a little bit of like, hey, I'm actually really a good human being, let's get going, and they're ready to go. Some people will find out about you, immediately click to get on the call with you, and they've never watched anything. They don't know you. And what they actually need is some time to connect and be nurtured and understand you before they buy. Mm
1: -hmm. It's true. There needs to be a level of trust there. Absolutely. Rapport where you feel comfortable and confident, at least with taking the risk of engaging and seeing if it works. Um, Pricing. How do you recommend women? Look at how to charge.
0: So, I have like 27 things to say about pricing. The most important one I say is this people will buy what you sell them. And the way that I want to explain this is I have a client who came to me and she was selling a program that was 150 euros a month and she was like, it was not working. I mean, it was a great program, amazing work that she does, but she couldn't earn enough to support herself. And I asked her, why do you think the people were buying this 150 euro program? And she's like, give me every reason in the book. And I stopped her and I said, with love, they are buying it because it's what you're selling. So I sat her down and we re-identified what she wanted to do, who her ideal client was, what she actually wanted to charge. And we came up with a three month, $4,500 program. And I had her go and sell it. And guess what? Do you want to take a wild guess if people bought that program? She,
1: She sold it out.
0: A hundred percent. So, people will buy what you are selling. What I tell my clients when we're pricing something is, I ask them to put it to a threshold where they're almost uncomfortable to say the amount, because the thing is, you can always adjust and expand and change. But we usually, whenever I have a client who's like, "Well," I'll, I'll give a great example. I had one client who came to me. She wanted to sell something for twenty five hundred dollars. It was going to be like eight months long. And I was like, ooh, ooh, "Ooh, that's not a fit for you." We reestablished it as a four-month program for $5,000, and she went out and sold it and sold $125,000 in a week. Okay, but can I...
1: Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish that. But I'm going to have to stop you there on some level because... I feel like sometimes there's an, it's energy, there's an energetic exchange. So what shifted within her where she could have the confidence and conviction to then sell it? Because if she was pricing it at 2500 for eight months and then doubled that for four months, right? Cut the time in half, but doubled the price of the program. Talk, talk about that.
0: Yeah. So here's what actually really happened. When I started to ask her a question of like, would you feel good if there were three people who bought this program? And deliver it. She was like, "Oh no. So I started to positively poke holes and mm. what she was creating, how we got her there was I started asking her questions about, would it feel good for you if you had, you know, two or three people who bought this and for eight months, you were only making $6,000. And she's mm. like, no. And what I started to actually do is I asked her the question of what would you do if you knew people would run to you and buy this? And what we got clear on is Yes, she actually only wanted to do four months because what if she didn't love this new program? Mm. And what would actually feel good for a value exchange? The dog, the husband, the child, everyone is in the room
1: now. (laughs) (laughs) I might just keep it in because it'll be more funny. No, I'm just kidding. It's
0: so good. Ladies. Oh, but do you want to know if you can sell like $100,000 programs the way I do and have a kid, a husband, a dog and everyone interrupt you? The answer is
1: yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, actually, okay. So finish the thought on that and let's jump to that because I know that you do help women sell six figure programs. So this is, this is where women, the more power we have, the more influence we have, uh, I think the better life is going to be. So I'm all for this.
0: Yeah, That's my mission and believe it. Okay. So back to this gal and why we were able to change this program is what I actually did was started to ask her the real questions. Like if you knew everyone would buy, what would you have actually charged? And she was like, oh, well, Mm 5,000. I was like, great. So then that's the real number. So ladies, what I want you to do is sit down and if you took away all the, but what if they will laugh at me? What if they won't buy it? What if they think it's too expensive or any of those words that show up and you actually don't think from that direction when you price, you will say the price point that you actually really would want to have it be.
1: I love that. And then you feel confident doing it because you've actually thought about all the different scenarios and you don't want to be resentful that you've undercharged and over delivered. And then at the end of it, you feel, you don't feel as good about the engagement and that's not the kind of relationship development you want to be doing. So uh, I, yeah, the the
0: people who you really want to work with are not buying based on price. You actually already told the story yourself. You said what you wanted for podcast support. Mm-hmm. You said who you want, what you wanted to do and you, well, you, char- you bought the one that was right for you. Mm-hmm. When I buy things, I buy what will get me to my result and what feels absolutely aligned. I don't buy based on price and nobody else does. And in fact, you shouldn't sell to anyone who is buying based on price because it's a misalignment for them and for you.
1: No, that's awesome. Love that. Love, love that. Okay. So what if somebody's never priced out a program before? They've developed a course, they've developed an offering, they developed some, you know, coaching program. Give us some questions or a way to think about how to package this up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the most important thing that I want you to think about is not just pricing one thing is you want to have an offer stack. Mm -hmm. And a sales container where you have multiple things that you're pricing. Because whenever I say something like a $5,000 program, so a handful of the women who are listening are going to be like, holy crap, that's so big. Mm -hmm. Uh, A few people are going to be like, oh, that's nothing. A few people are thinking, is there a payment plan? Or you know, I bought something that was $5,000 and it triggered me. Everyone has a different emotional response Mm -hmm. to value. And they decide if it's high or low when you only offer one thing. So one of the game changers that I do for all of my clients is I have them have at least three offers when they are giving their offer stack. So there is high, medium, and low. So you're in charge of determining what is high, medium, and low. Another really wonderful thing that I do with a lot of my clients is whenever we're putting together a, like a new program, I have them offer a VIP level or a deep dive level or an intensive level that goes along with it that is a higher price point for... A higher level of support. And I have them basically sell them at the same time. So they can start to feel the threshold of what people will purchase when they are figuring out that amount. The next thing that I like to look at is, you know, a lot of people do this. And I, I just did it actually on a call today with a new client where I asked her what she wanted as her baseline income each month. And she wanted $15,800 a month minimum. And we looked at how much time and availability she has inside of her consulting business. And we figured out she could basically bring on four ongoing clients a month. So if you take that math and you put it all together, mm-hmm. what we figured out was she needed to be charging about 17000 per client so that she would have 15 months of $15,800 each month. So that's part of how we started to go there. And when we were starting to price it, when I first said 17000 she went, oh, that, that's a lot. Mm. And then we went back to the numbers and I asked her, you know, like, what would feel really good for you to exchange for this package? And we came back to the same numbers and guess what? It ended up being like 17200 mm. that we landed on for her payment plan. So I really want for you to look at how much time and energy do you have available And what's going to feel really amazing for you to receive that. And I'm not talking about dollars per hour. I'm talking about how many clients would you feel comfortable serving at any given time. And I'll give you an example. I have um, my $100,000 mastermind. Um, In a 12-month cycle, I can only support eight people in that program. That's it. If I take on more than eight, my time starts to get harried. And I don't have space for my other mastermind program that I offer or any of my other clients. So I've learned how to manage how many people I can take and how I got to the $100,000 was based on the value exchange of what I'm delivering to them, the goals that they desire to create, the level and investment they need to be invested so they show up and do all the work. Because the irony is these people who are in this program actually need me the least. And sometimes what I'm actually telling them to do is to not do something versus actively do something. So I need them to be all the way invested because we're going from six to seven figures in their business. And that takes different thinking and different actions.
1: Okay. Can we talk a little bit more about the thinking? So Mm -hmm. I am thinking about a friend of mine who is incredibly talented, who put so much heart and soul into the packages that she creates, the courses that she's doing, converting isn't happening. Obviously, you're not you're not talking to her right now, so there's no way to know. But I know that she's representative of so many service-based entrepreneurs. If you're not... I, com- go ahead. I was going to say, if you're not converting... Well, I to say, why you
0: know, is it not selling?
1: <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know. I don't know why.
0: I know exactly what the answer is. So when someone comes to me and we try to diagnose why it's not selling... Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something that's going to feel a little funky when I say it. So lean in, ladies, and just know we'll get to the other side of it. You didn't actually want to sell it. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean is there's something in that offer that is not going to feel good for you to deliver. It might be that you have packed so much into this program that it's going to eliminate your time to be with your children if you sell these. It may also be that you need to sell 50 just to make the money, but you only have space to serve eight people. Mm. So there is usually something off with what it is. So it's the offer. The secondary thing is, are you actually walking someone through the arc of the sale and making the ask? I cannot tell you. I still remember <laughs> my husband years ago used to work for um, one of the, um, the phone companies Um And he went to this three-day training where they paid this consulting firm like $50,000 to come in and for three days teach them about sales. And he came home and he's like, "Um, do you know what they just told us to do? And I was like, "I, I bet I know what they told you to do. But he's like, they just kept saying you need to ask for the sale. And I'm like, yep, that's actually the number one thing people don't do is they get to the end of the conversation and they're waiting for the person to be like, oh my God, you're so amazing. Can I give you my money? And that doesn't happen. And then they were like, I'll follow up with you. So ladies, you need to ask, how would you like to get started? Is this something that you're ready to take action on? Let's get you going. I just need to collect your credit card information, your billing, take the credit card on the phone. And then the final reason why it's probably not selling. So it's either you didn't really want to deliver it. And whenever I sit down with my clients and we go through it, there's something in the offer they don't feel good about and or it doesn't get them to the money they really need. They would yeah. have to sell way too many of it to do that. Okay, There is not asking for the sale. Like You're going through the process, but you're not actually asking for the sale. The other side of it is you are not clear and direct in who you're talking to. So your ideal client mm-hmm. is not person on the phone. I can't say how many times I've sat down with clients and I've been like, The person was like, 17 people I talked to and only two bought. I was like, well, let's let's really check the numbers. And as we knock it down, we usually get down to like, you know, oh, well, 10 of them didn't show up for their calls. And then like seven of them were like terribly misaligned and I didn't even want to work with them if I could. And then three were ideal and two said yes. And I'm like, great, close rate. Mm -hmm. So I want for you to know, like, are you talking to someone who is actually ready to make the purchase? And then the final piece. Is that there is a possibility that you are not conveying specifics and the ability for someone to understand what they're going to get? A um, great example is: Have you ever gotten on a sales call with somebody? And you're like, you get off and you're like, "Wow, I feel really awesome," and I have no idea what I just purchased. Mm-hmm. Like that's potentially happened to you before. So mm-hmm. if you are not, you're probably this this friend that you have or colleague is probably selling her program and she's not selling. I'm going to solve your problem and get you to your vision. So I don't sell a program. I don't, I mean, yes, I sell programs, but I don't sell a program. What I'm selling to each and every one of my clients is I hear you. I believe in you. I understand your exact and specific struggle. I know how to help you get out of it. I understand what your vision is and what you want to do to get to it. And I can guide you there. That's what I'm actually selling.
1: Okay. Well, you talked about getting in front of the right audience. How do you do that?
0: This is my favorite thing. Because everyone always asks me the question. They're like, but how do I sell this, Laura? How do I find those people? Mm-hmm. So it's going to sound really silly, but the best way to find your people is to be very clear and understand them. And I don't mean this amorphous ICA. I had a coach years back who asked me a question. and This was a game changer for me. She said, if you could only um, pick one client that you work with and you had to find her specifically and exactly, you could have a million of her, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't, could only have who she is, who is that person? Because here's what we do. We create these Frankenstein ideal clients that don't exist because Mm -hmm. we pick a quality from this person, a quality from that person. And do you know how hard it is to find those people? It's almost (laughs)
1: impossible. That's like trying to, like the perfect guy or something. It it
0: is. So I always give this example because I have a client that I've worked with in the past who has had great success. And she actually helps people get into Ivy League colleges Hmm. without buying in, like actually legit, like to become the person who gets into these these, uh, colleges. And we identified who her best and brightest person was. And what we identified was They came from wealthy families from not only from India, but very specific province in India. I can't remember what it was, but when we were talking about it, it became very clear. That's where her ideal people came from. And we were like, well, where are they? And what we found out was that they were going to um, galas in Washington, D.C. at the Indian consulate. Because we were so specific, we knew where they were. And so we just got her an invitation to go there to meet some families. And that filled up her entire practice. That's how specific I want you to get, because again, remember about it. If you are like completely laser focused on who your person is, you're gonna know exactly where to find them.
1: Mm-hmm. It's and I'm not an advocate of fishing or not not an advocate of fishing, but I'm just thinking if you're casting a net wide, mm-hmm. And you're like, I'll just get whatever and I don't care, but you actually hate 90% of the fish that you (laughs) catch and would never (laughs) want to cook them up. I don't know. This is becoming a very odd analogy, but I'm just thinking, um, you know, but if you knew like I want salmon and you're like, okay, let me charter the boat and go out where I can actually capture salmon. I don't know. That was the most random analogy that just popped into my head, but I think it talks, I think it speaks to what you just said.
0: You hit the nail on the head. It is the moment that you are super duper specific, you know how to get them. And also, ladies, everyone's always afraid to niche down, niche down as narrow as you possibly can, because it doesn't mean that the other people don't show up. So it's the other fun thing. I love your catching fish analogy. And P.S. I'm a city mouse. I know nothing about like
1: country living or fishing or camping. I I am also a city mouse, which is why that analogy was so random. And I was like, I really know nothing about fishing. And I would actually never want to catch a fish because I would feel horrible about that, even if you were throwing it back. So anyway, that's why it was so random. But go ahead, city mouse, fellow city mouse. Yes.
0: Yes. But if you were fishing for salmon, the coolest thing about your ideal client is you put out that bait for salmon and... I don't know any other fish. Um, All the other (laughs) fish that wish they were salmon (laughs) are going to show up as well. So that's the coolest thing about niching down is when you go laser specific, anyone who isn't that but wants to be it will also show up. So you actually have a wider cast than you think you do.
1: I think the (laughs) analogy surprisingly worked, which is cracking me up right now. Okay, I have to ask you one question, which you've posed too, which is how can an entrepreneur add an extra hundred thousand to her bottom line? A lot of the women listening would love to get to a hundred thousand. I'll be honest. Some, some want to go from six to seven and some just really want to, yeah, they want to bring in that extra.
0: What I'm going to tell you two different easy ways because I think more than one is always better. I like options. So way number one is, this is going to sound ridiculously simple, but it is, look at the whole entire year. So look at your next 12 months. If you had eight clients that were paying you $12,000, $1,000 a month per year, that's six figures. If you had 10 clients paying you $10,000 over 12 months, that's $100,000. And I know it sounds very simple, but people get caught on this. I have to amass it all in a month. Or Mm -hmm. all right away, Mm -hmm. and they forget how simple it can be. And I just want you to hear is easier to find eight or 10 or 12 people to buy from you in a 12 month cycle than it is to sell like a thousand, hundred dollar somethings. So go for high ticket, go for the fewest number of people. And then the second thing that I always look at is buyers buy more. How do you give an additional service to someone? So I have a couple clients who've over time paid me probably $150,000, $200,000 over a two to three year window Mm -hmm. without being in a $100,000 program with me because I continually give them other opportunities and ways to invest with me. So I want you to be thinking, what is the next sale? How are you continuing to support somebody? And I feel like I want to give one more way. Okay. So the other one more way is the... I don't believe in, again, numbers. Like Everyone always teaches it's all about the numbers. If you want three people to say yes, you need to bring 300 people to you. It's not about that. It's about deep relationships. So I want you to really go see, do you have people around you that you are deeply connected to? And if you do, what are their problems? What are their visions? How do you create $100,000 worth of value to give to them? I did an call with one of my clients earlier today um, where we created an $88,000 program. And it's not that complicated. It's not that hard. One person at some point in this year will say yes to her for this because she has it there to offer. Mm. And that's usually what the missing key is. For most of my clients that struggle to get to six figures, they don't have six figures worth of service to sell. And so they fall short of selling it.
1: Okay. Tell me about mindset. How important is that? I would imagine it's very important, Laura.
0: Like everything. I always joke that, yeah, I'm a sales coach and consultant, but really I'm a mindset person. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk about how empowered women sell with ease and that your mindset is everything. So one of the assignments I give a lot of my clients, I would recommend for everyone on this call, is I say my numbers like they're a fact. Like I have a $27,000 mastermind. I have a $100,000 program. I have various and other ways to work with me, but they're just facts. Like mm-hmm. when you walk into a store and something is priced, you don't look at the price and question it or ask the person, is this correct? Or should it be something different? Unless you're going car shopping, so that's meant to be that way. But for the most part, things are priced as a fact. So I would highly recommend that you walk around your house Stating your prices like a fact, another thing that I do, a really great mindset hack for myself was um, and this comes from my background of selling like four million dollar live events, you know real estate that like the smallest piece of real estate I ever sold was seventy five thousand dollars like I worked with larger numbers, so I'm used to and I'm comfortable saying larger numbers. so I give my clients assignment to practice spending a day just saying things like 450,000, 792,000, 75,000, Like, say the big numbers like they're a fact. That way, when you get to your price point, you're like, oh, I have a $4,000 program. You just state it like a fact.
1: Love this. Okay. So, the majority of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed on the show happen to be the two percenters. There's the seven figure female entrepreneurs. And I noticed as I was interviewing them that they all had systems, they were all. Mm-hmm. All about the systems. And I'm curious, do you have any systems in place for your own business that you can share? Um, yeah. Okay. I love it.
0: I, and it's funny because I'm actually a system breaking quick start. People hire me because I help them break the system that they've gotten stuck in, but I have a mm. few that I stick to no matter what. Okay. So one is uh, my five steps to yes that I teach and follow on every single sales call, no matter what. And why I do that is because this allows me to know that I'm going to get certain results. If I was going willy nilly and talking with one person about one thing and another about another, I couldn't go back and say, if I talk with five people, I'm going to get five sales. When I follow my sales system on every single call, I know what the outcome is going to be. Mm. So that's one system I follow. Uh, the other one that I do is we have um, all of my coaching programs We meet on regular intervals and I keep it like that so that my clients know what to expect. They get the feeling of consistency with me. Another one of the systems that I do is my schedule. This one, I've been doing this for years. This was my game changer. So my Mondays are for me. I meet with my team. I do my marketing. Occasionally, I'll do a sales call at the end of the day, but I am blocked in what I do. Tuesdays, I have open for one-on-one coaching calls. Wednesdays is my day for, I have one uh, group program and then I have open space for podcasts or sales calls. Thursdays are just like Tuesdays, the private calls. And then there's a group program at the end of the day. And my Fridays are always open for either full day workshops or VIP days. Mm -hmm. And by sticking to this, what happens is anytime I do have a different week, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I have like my energy is consistent. I do things in certain time blocks. I do not start my day before 10 a.m. and I call close to my day by 4.30 every day so that every once in a while when I do a seven o'clock call, it's okay.
1: Oh, I love that. Well, I was actually gonna ask if you had any morning or evening routines that foster your success.
0: Yeah. I do. Everything I do, it's so funny because I'm a system bringing quick start and routine has been one of the best things in our life. My husband and I, we get up every morning. Um, We retired him about five years ago. So he is our full-time at home, stay at dad, home, dad, take care of the household. Hmm. So we all get up in the morning and we all get breakfast. We take the dog for a walk. Uh, we used to take our kid to school. Uh, we'll see if we're doing that. The- <laughs> um, and then he goes off to the gym and I usually work out and hang out with our kid a little bit. I get my shower before I start my day at my desk Then I do my calls. I always have a lunch break. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to make it from 12 to one. Occasionally the timing's a little different, but I always have a lunch break. Mm-hmm. And then at four thirty, I stop my day. And at five o'clock we eat dinner. We even have like pasta Wednesdays, taco Tuesdays. We have, you know, fish on Thursdays and there's some flexibility there. I want you to hear it's not about being rigid, but it's about taking down the defi- decision fatigue so that mm-hmm. I can be fully present for the things that I'm doing.
1: So you basically said you're working from 10 to thirty essentially every day, which is fantastic. I think that's a yeah. model that Amy especially a mom would love.
0: It, it's school it's basically school bus hours. I do go to 430 because the um, hubby is the one that picks up the kid from school and I will tell you I usually have about every other Friday where there's nothing on my plate. Um, Mondays I have usually two calls like I used to be the person and please hear this. I was the recovering overworker in fact, we had a neighbor ask um, my husband and I, how do you do it? Because everyone's now working from home. She's like, I'm constantly working. I'm doing too much. And my husband laughs and basically says, "You know, if I didn't have a husband, a kid and a dog, I would probably work 24 Mm seven. So having them in my life really does pull me away from what I do, but I give myself the permission to be fully present when I'm working and fully present with my family when I'm with my family.
1: Love it. This has been fantastic. Loved all of it. Is there anything I didn't ask Laura that you want to leave the women listening with? Mm,
0: That's such a good question. So
1: I think number one
0: is ladies step up. When you have more money in your hands, real wealth, we have the ability to really change the world. Because here's what I understand. Smart women, when we make money we actually reinvest in our communities in our business and our families. So it is your duty to go out there and not just serve with service, serve and sell, make the money too. You will do the good things in the world that need to be done with the money and the power that comes with it.
1: Love. This has been amazing. Now, Laura, where can people learn more about you and your programs?
0: Great question. So come hang out with me, laurawrightcoaching.com. And it's right with a W, -W L-A-U-R-A-W-R-G-H-T coaching.com. We've got lots of goodness on my website, but also I am present on social media. If you just type in my name, you'll see lots and lots of Laura's. So sometimes look for me with Epic at sales. That's my company name. And I want you to know that I do personally respond when you reach out on Facebook on our Instagram. I like to give lots of love and support to the people around me.
1: I've loved this conversation and I'll link all of your social handles and everything in the show notes so people can find you easily. I'm super grateful for your time. This was a blast. Thank you so much,
0: Michelle. I loved it.
1: Thank you. This is Michelle Lamoureux, and you've been listening to the Good Life Coach podcast. Now, remember, all of the show notes can be found over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Now, I have one favor before you sign off today. If you've benefited from any of the shows that you've listened to and really enjoyed the content, would you be kind enough to take just one minute and rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts? It's how I know what's resonating with you, and also it helps other women find the show. Thank you as always for tuning in and I look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now.